This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, which by our count is number 718. Yes, yours truly, Douglas Everett. With a little help from the maven of production, Edward McMillan. I've had an almost 14-year run here at KDVS, which officially ends today. We stress and emphasize, however, that we're not going away. Radioparallax.com is going to be around for many a year. And fresh programming will show up on a regular basis. We promise. What is ending is our terrestrial broadcasts here in the Davis-Sacramento metro area. And yes, we're sad to be leaving the airwaves. Although, to be honest, I'm not sure what Aaron Frankel has in mind next week. He may want to air a, uh, a rerun. He's welcome to do so. But we intend to be upbeat from start to finish because, Willie, we're not going away. Radioparallax.com is where you will continue to find us, as I say, for many a year. All right, in our second segment today, we're going to talk to a couple old friends, Dr. Andy Jones, who's the purveyor on a weekly basis and will continue to be so in the future of a fine public affairs program on the station, Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour, which is heard every Wednesdays at 5 p.m. He's always a good guest, and (laughs) we're sure we'll be so again in segment two. We'll also be speaking briefly in segment two with James Israel, who brings you The Humor Times, formerly known as the Comic Press News. They're having a 25th anniversary special next month. No doubt a few of you might like to attend that event, so stay tuned to find out the particulars. I hope uh, during this show, Mr. Merlin can also insert some more of those uh, most interesting man in the world quotes, which we started doing last week. We also intend, in our final segment today, to end the way we came in with a little bit we call celebrity poetry reading. But let's start today's program as we like to start all of them with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 24th of March. It was on March 24th in 1603 that Queen Elizabeth I of England, one of the realm's greatest monarchs, died after a 44-year reign during which England became more unified and distinguished itself in politics, commerce, and the arts. Also in English news, on March 24th in 1776, the English horologist Jack Harrison, who invented the first practical chronometer enabling navigators to fix longitude at sea, died in London. And finally, on March 24th in 1882, the German scientist Robert Koch announced the discovery of the tuberculosis bacillus, for which he would later win the Nobel Prize. Our quote today comes from Friedrich Nietzsche, who once said, The surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct him to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently. We've noted with some sadness on this program that currently some people have been instructing the youth of today to think alike. Our quip of the day comes from Aristotle, who once said there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. We have two stats of the day for today's program. The first I believe, the second I don't. The first one is that when a recent Stanford poll asked 1,200 Americans what they believe the typical CEO earns in a year, respondents said $1 million. This is about a tenth, the actual average of CEOs, which is, of course, $10 million. 
And according to an online jobs marketplace named Glassdoor, physician tops the list of highest paying jobs in the U.S. with a median base salary of $180,000. That's followed by lawyers at $144,000, research and development manager $142,000, and software development manager at $132,000. This is a very misleading statistic, and if you tune into this program in the future online, you're going to hear me have a lot more to say about that. Our good news item of the week is that a sea otter was spotted swimming off of Southern California's coast. In fact, the Orange County Register reported last week that two employees of the Crystal Cove Alliance spotted the sea otter near Laguna Beach. This, of course, has some scientists hoping it's a sign of resurgence for the creatures which were once hunted nearly to extinction. I sure hope the little guys make it. All right, for our anecdote of the day, we've got quite a barn burner. We've been quite critical over the years of the great insanity in this country known as the War on Drugs. And it turns out the story is even more sordid than we imagined. And we've got a good imagination. This is all over the web, but in this case I'm quoting from a Robbie Suave, who's a staff editor at Reason.com. Richard Nixon launched the War on Drugs for one specific reason, to decimate his perceived political enemies, which were the anti-war left and black people. That's according to an anecdote in a lengthy cover story for Harper's, in which journalist Dan Baum recounts in an interview he conducted with John Ehrlichman, a former Nixon staffer who was jailed for one year due to his involvement in Watergate. But unprompted, Ehrlichman confessed the true purpose of federal drug prohibition. To quote from Baum, You want to know what this is really all about? He asked with the bluntness of a man who, after public disgrace and a stretch in federal prison, had little left to protect. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Robbie Suave noted that the dastardly plan failed only in the sense that Nixon ultimately lost, a victim of his own criminal behavior and utter lack of scruples. But the war on drugs certainly has brought ruin, poverty, and crime to minority communities. It's cost the nation outrageous sums of money and it's expanded the scope of the federal government's oppressive power. This was not done for any noble purpose. It was a political gambit, nothing more. And he closes with what could be the quote of the year. The road to hell may be paved with good intentions, but it's not only paved with good intentions. The War on Drugs, launched by Richard Nixon. Been a smashing success, as you can see by the 50,000 dead in Mexico alone. And of course, thanks to the efforts of the federal government, it's virtually impossible to find crack cocaine in any of America's cities. The sad part about all of this is that drugs are kept illegal because of how much money they generate for the status quo. The status quo being major financiers in Wall Street, America and other nations' intelligence agencies, and law enforcement everywhere. Oh, we should also mention the drug kingpins, which are unfortunately in bed with the previously mentioned groups. When you keep drugs illegal, everybody admits that drives the price up. Well, that's a good thing to a lot of people. 
Now, we have to say from a medical standpoint that higher prices do mean there'll be less consumption. And certain people out there do have an inability to resist addiction to drugs. But we would note that in other nations, when they treated it as a medical problem and allowed registered addicts to go down and buy drugs cheaply in the local pharmacy, they do not have the giant infrastructure you see in this country, which exists to bring drugs from their country of origin to the consumer. It's hard to imagine anything that's been a more spectacular failure. And yet, and yet, here in California, we're going to have to get a ballot initiative. And by the way, I need to say something about uh, uh, the idea out there, which seems to be gaining traction, that we should get rid of our initiative system in California because it's been misused by some people is not the way to go. If we're going to get marijuana legal in California, it's going to come through the initiative process because our elected officials are not going to go down that road. There's too many lobbyists for big tobacco. There's too many lobbyists for breweries. There's too many lobbyists for distilled spirit manufacturers. There's too damn many people that don't want to see marijuana decriminalized. If it happens, we, the public, are going to have to vote on it directly. The bee was griping about uh, this last week, noting that uh, one, one initiative for the November ballot, if it passes, will come from a wealthy Stockton area farmer who wants to restrict public works projects. He doesn't like Brown's proposed project to move water from the Delta to San Joaquin Valley Farms and Southern California cities. Well, good. It's a crappy idea. I hope we get to vote on it. By the way... All the opinions you're going to hear on this program, as on every program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And by the way, I want to say something else about this war on drugs before we leave it. There's apparently um, an allegation from the federal government that uh, doctors are just killing people all across the country with opioid pain drugs. I'm pretty sure that uh, the same people that are running our war on drugs are the ones coming up with these bogus statistics. But uh, the feds are going to put a boxed warning now on all, uh, all opioid pain medications to let you know that, hey, these things can be dangerous. Duh. That's why you have to go to a doctor to get them prescribed. Anyway, this idea that there's this huge epidemic of abuse and deaths tied to drugs like Vicodin and Percocet, well, I have my doubts, frankly. I witnessed in a 30-year medical career an effort to liberalize the prescription of pain relievers to people who need them. The federal government made it so hard for doctors to do this that they had to have what were called triplicate prescriptions years ago. It was so difficult that almost nobody bothered. And as a result, and this is pretty significant, an awful lot of people suffered and died sometimes in excruciating pain when relief was available. And I do want to give lawyers an attaboy for once and note that when doctors were sued, for not prescribing pain medications, the medical authorities woke up and realized, yes, we do have to do something about this. Efforts were then made to liberalize the prescription of opioids. Yes, there has been a downside to this, but there's been a huge upside in that people who needed pain relief could get it. We'll have more to say about that in the future at radioparallax.com. All right, and for our joke of the day... A couple in a bar were sharing drinks. After sharing quite a few drinks, the woman asked the man if he'd like to go home with her. He eagerly accepted. When they arrived at her apartment and he walked into her bedroom, he noticed the wall lined with stuffed animals arranged on different shelves according to size. The smallest sat on the bottom shelf. 
There were some of middle size on the middle shelf, and the largest ones were on the top shelf. He thought that was pretty screwy, but brushed it aside and proceeded to have sex with the woman. After they finished, the man asked, So how was it? The woman replied, You may have anything from the bottom shelf. Hi, right, Mr. Millen, you got some more of those most interesting man in the world quotes? I believe I do. Well, this might be a good time for them. He once ran a marathon because it was on the way. His mother has a tattoo that says, Son. It is never his bad. The police often question him just because they find him interesting. And... Even his enemies list him as their emergency contact. He is the most interesting man in the world. And now let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. All of today's items come from The Week, which noted, as we do, that it was a good week last week for unemployed martial artists after a Japanese official said that they're going to hire six full-time ninjas to promote tourism. (laughs) Applicants must be proficient with weapons, be able to perform backward handsprings, and enjoy the spotlight, quote, even though he or she is a secretive ninja, unquote. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for reaching out after a pair of suspected thieves were arrested in New Mexico after allegedly asking an undercover police officer for a pair of jumper cables so they could start a stolen car. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for blind faith after a religious quote-unquote prophet in South Africa decided to challenge a pride of feeding lions only to have part of his buttock bitten off. Said Alec Ndwane from his hospital bed, I thought the Lord wanted to use me to show his power over animals. Well, Alec, apparently not. All right, let's do a couple other medical items. As predicted on this program, pink Viagra is a dud. I don't even know why they're calling it pink Viagra. It's nothing like Viagra. Anyways, we may or may not have mentioned previously on this program, the verdict is in, and after an analysis of Eight studies involving nearly 6,000 women. The average benefit from taking flubanserin <laughs> works out to about one half of one satisfying sexual encounter per month. This and a drug that carries some fairly serious risks, including low blood pressure and fainting. Well, we were pretty sure that wouldn't pan out, and it hasn't done so. We also note that the studies continue to come in showing that people living in cities eliminated by streetlights and neon signs are more likely to have trouble sleeping than residents in more rural areas. We need an exposure to darkness. People are now recognizing that this is part of healthy living, and it's about time. (laughs) Whether we're going to do something about it is another matter, but we hope so. And uh, from the world of politics, we cannot resist passing up what that Republican brain surger Ben Carson had to say about Donald Trump as he more or less endorsed him. (laughs) He said... Even if Donald Trump turns out to not be such a good president, we're only looking at four years. 
Let's balance that off with some good news. Apparently, unplanned pregnancies in the U.S. are at a 30-year low, having fallen 18% between 2008 and 2011, according to the Guttmacher Institute. The drop has occurred in part because of long-acting reversible contraceptives like intrauterine devices and implants, the use of which has tripled since 2007. Yay. But back to politics briefly. I'm not sure if anybody's noticed this, but if you want to be on the Supreme Court of the United States, you either have to be Jewish or Catholic, and you have to graduate from either Yale or Harvard. Now, how this has come about, we really don't know. But we at Radio Parallax decided to take a closer look at this and note that uh, you got three Yale Catholics in the Supreme Court, Thomas, Alito, and Sotomayor. Balancing off the three Catholics from Yale, you've got three Jews from Harvard, Kagan, Ginsburg, and Breyer. We've got two Catholics from Harvard, Kennedy and Roberts. But if Merrick Garland enters the court, he will become the fourth Harvard Jew. And no, we have no explanation for why it is that there are no Yale Jews on the U.S. Supreme Court. A lot of people are noting that if they torpedo Merrick Garland uh, and Hillary Clinton should become the next president, she might appoint Barack Obama to the court. Wouldn't that be interesting? I know, Mr. Millen, if Obama was on the court, he would not then be the first Muslim from Harvard. We're noting, too, that there seems to be a lot of momentum. Well, they're trying to generate a lot of momentum, it seems, to stop Donald Trump. This is coming from the right. He's apparently not conservative enough to suit some people. Trump told the Washington Post editorial board recently that he supported a non-interventionist foreign policy focusing on reducing the United States' engagements in conflicts abroad in order to focus on rebuilding infrastructure and the economy at home. That doesn't sound so stupid. But he apparently is irking a lot of people by saying, as regards the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, he promises to remain neutral, and that's not good enough for people at IPAC. Anyway, the California primary may, uh, may be the thing that either jumpstarts Ted Cruz or ices it for Donald Trump. Now, we're not saying we like Trump, but, you know, if you go head-to-head, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, Donald Trump is the better candidate. I did the disclaimer, right? You did. Oh, good. All right. As we wrap up here in this segment, we want to give uh, kudos to Cosmo Garvin for winning the James Madison Freedom of Information Award at uh, last week's Northern California Society of Professional Journalists Dinner in San Francisco. The Sacramento News and Review was recognized for its reporting on Mayor Kevin Johnson's email scandal. By the way, according to the scorekeeper column in the SNNR, Mayor Johnson was in Austin, Texas last week for the annual South by Southwest Festival. He appeared on a panel and dropped knowledge about, of all things, transparency and open source government. I sure am blue 